Welcome back to Women Get Lit. And today's episode, the gothic quality and violence, a male academic's perspective. In today's episode, I'll be speaking with my seminal leader, Sam. Sam Haldy is a male lecturer at Queen Mary University of London. His research interests have taken him from American literature to science and technology and culture. I wanted to begin a discussion with not just an academic, but a man. Having been surrounded by women at home and the school environment, I was exposed to now I see a limited, biased view of literature. The texts I studied were mostly, if not all, female writers who wrote about traditionally female issues, oppression, violence. I was taught to analyse literature in light of the hashtag MeToo movement, bring my own experience of men, misogyny and violence towards women to the discussion. It was a topic I felt very passionate about, but which also carried a lot of anxiety. When I say this, I don't wish to discredit the teachers that have taught me. However, now I need to start taking a new approach. I automatically assumed men and male... I automatically assumed men and male academics were not allowed to study or read literature written by women. Uni changed this, and so did the men I encountered so far. In today's episode, we'll be discussing two primary Gothic texts, Zofloya by Charlotte Dacre and The Mysteries of Udolpho by Anne Radcliffe. Zofloya follows Victoria, a sexually promiscuous, ambitious and evil protagonist, whose lustful desires for Henriquez, a married man, inspires her illicit acts. Victoria, manipulated by Lucifer, disguised as the handsome Moor, is dictated by him as he incites her violent passions. Victoria is a typical example of nature versus nurture. Dacre's novel provokes an unsettling image of violence upon women, but also opens a new, unheard taboo topic of discussion, female sexuality. The same taboo topic that must be cast as dangerous and violence to tame its power. The mistress of Udolpho, known as the foundation of the gothic genre, tells the story of Emily, who suffers greatly under her aunt's husband after the death of her parents. Emily, entrapped in a gloomy supernatural castle, faces a series of lurking, potential male threats. The Gothic is built upon a violence of a pure, innocent woman. How did you end up teaching the field of Gothic literature? Not my field, which is kind of interesting. So one of the nice things about my job is I can dip into fields that aren't my own and actually learn things by teaching them and researching them as part of the teaching project. So I was friends with Mark Manella, so I teach this module with, and he had taught a Gothic module before, and I had a few American Gothic texts I really wanted to teach. So we just got into it like that. And are you a feminist? Do you feel like to be an academic in your field, you need to be one? I hope I am a feminist. I think it's not really for me to say sort of. I also think that 
it's the sort of thing you kind of do by failing, so you always not be quite the one you wanted to be. But I don't think... The other part of your question is really interesting, and I've thought about that a lot. There isn't a piece of paper that says you have to be a feminist, but it is true that it would be quite difficult to work in the field constructively and sympathetically without being at least tolerant, mm. if not very invested in feminist principles, I think. So how do you approach teaching novels written by women? This is also an interesting question. Mm. I don't really know if I approach teaching novels by women in a different way to teaching novels by mm. men. I'm not sure I could tell you there is one difference between them. I think there are differences, but I'm not sure that they fall into a pattern. When I design modules and teach them, I try to strike a balance. I try to make the identities of the people writing as diverse as possible and have a lot of women and men. But I don't think there's a single thing that makes this group of texts different from that group of texts by women written by men. That's interesting. I mean, just for your context, I went to an all-girls school. Yeah. And they would always teach us that texts written by women were very much concerned with, like, female oppression and women and women's issues. And it was always quite interesting for me to come to, like, a mixed environment and see that that's not the case. Do you think that's not because men write about the same things as well or because not all texts written by women are about those things or both? I think it's more the first one. I think it's because men write about women as well. Yeah. And I think having other men in the discussion makes a difference as well because one of the things I also want to talk about, I enjoyed our seminars mainly because they didn't talk about those women's issues traditionally that I was exposed to a lot. But we also spoke about other elements of the gothic genre and I guess this was intentional. Yeah, it was. So... That's interesting. So to kind of go back on some of this, I think men and women write about the same issues. They don't always write about the same things, but women do write about women's issues, but so do men. Men sometimes avoid them. Women sometimes avoid them. And it is certainly true that men and women have different perspectives and they each might see different things and their viewpoints may not be reconcilable. But what definitely isn't the case is that women write books about x men write books about y and you need to read the men if you're interested in that kind of issues and the women in that kind of issues there's yeah. much more overlap than that. that's one of the things that is i'm being challenged with okay. at uni um, nice way yeah it is a nice way it's a nice change of perspective okay. i think for me from what I was kind of taught to think about literature. So obviously our seminar was mostly female dominated. And my question is, what was it like to teach a course with mostly female students? Does that change your approach to the texts or not really? I thought about this a lot as it was happening. So it's, it's very normal to teach classes where most students are, are women. In our group, everyone was. And I was the only male person in the room. And I did think sometimes in some seminars which discuss certain themes, is this okay? Is this appropriate? And I hoped I didn't make anyone feel uncomfortable. But I decided that, you know, there were weeks when we would talk about 
sexual violence mm. towards women. And I thought, it's really, this is a really important theme of this text, and it's the thing that we need to do this week because it's the right thing for the module to talk about it. And I think I need to be careful in some ways, but I hope not do anything I wouldn't, I'd not talk or say anything that I wouldn't say otherwise. Mm. And I don't think I should avoid it just because I'm a man. That didn't feel to me the right thing to do because then it would be weird. We would be mm. avoiding the most important issue in the text for that week and that seemed perverse. That wasn't yeah. an outcome I wanted for anybody. I agree. I think it was for the mysteries of Udolpho. Initially, I didn't think the text was very gothic. Yeah. And then I remember you explained to us through the threat of the male violence yeah. and the violence that is happening to Emily, not explicitly. Yeah. And that really changed my perspective because yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, right. There is something kind of going. Well, that's great on. because I'm really invested in that because that was fun for me. I read Mysteries of Udolpho for the first time the summer before we first taught the module. Mm. Because you kind of had to do that. And I found it a challenging text. It's really long. It's not very scary. But it is really powerful. It's historically very important. And I remain, after many years of teaching that book, very eager to... I don't, you know, I hope students like it. Mm. But if they don't, I would like everyone to feel that it is important. And it's taught for a reason. And it's very important with that book, which for lots of reasons students can find a bit tedious and dated and yeah. alienating to say, look, secretly, if you look beneath the surface, it's about really important mm. stuff that's really quite challenging and uncomfortable and awful. Yeah, it's an important serious book. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. About. I think it was a good foundation yeah. for the rest of the gothic good. novels. Now that I look back at it, I think it does have all those themes. Yeah. It's just you have yeah. to kind of look exactly. underneath the surface. Exactly. So, in our class, you would always ask us like what we found interesting when we read the text. What do you think students tend to pick up on when reading Gothic novels? I don't know. I mean, quite a lot of students, they... I mean this in a really good way. They're kind of fans. They like mm. vampires. They might be goths. They might have had a goth moment in their teenage years, something like that. Or they're really interested in fan fiction, genre fiction, mm. horror, things like that. I think that brings a lot of people to it. That's not my background really. I think my interest is in, you know, I don't believe in ghosts or zombies or anything like that, but I do believe that those are very powerful vehicles to talk about difficult, taboo issues sometimes. Now I would like to move on to Zofloya. Firstly, it's quite a controversial text, not so well known, which I think comes down to a lot of its very core questioning and provocative discussions surrounding female sexuality and violence. Dekka obviously describes violence towards women and especially one specific woman, Lila, who is, I guess, this archetype of femininity. She's gentle, submissive, she's pure. She's not very voiced in the text, necessarily. Violence is perpetuated onto her, which I think is quite a traditional narrative in literature that we know. But I think... One of the things I found particularly interesting and striking when I read the book is 
that the violence isn't only done to her, but it's done by another woman. And obviously this isn't just to say that women can't be violent and that violence is something inherently masculine in literature or in reality, but I think there is something quite disturbing that it is a woman being violent and physically violent, most importantly, to another woman. I think it's something that we don't often see in literature and the way it is presented is quite uncomfortable and extremely provocative. It's meant to make us feel a little bit, this is wrong, we shouldn't feel pleasure from reading this or feel somewhat negative about it. And I'm not sure if I would call this or label this violence horizontal hostility, though I think it is very interesting that it is violence that stems from jealousy, jealousy over another man. And obviously, Victoria is presented as this greatest wrongdoer. She's the greatest evil of all. She represents everything that's monstrous and takes it all upon herself and embodies that. And we are made to believe that she's completely void of human emotions, empathy, sympathy, love, and this lust that overtakes her. And I do think that these are very extreme opposites of stereotypical images of femininity and female sexuality. One is violent and must be tamed and labelled as taboo. And then the other one is glorified, put as a pet on a pedestal, as the ideal femininity. But who defines the ideal and the taboo? Is it the man? Is it, is it society? Is it other women? But one thing that just came to my mind is that obviously one femininity and female and representation of female sexuality is more glorified than the other. But both of them are destroyed and eliminated in the text. So I think that's a very interesting parallel to think that is it really the case that one is glorified if both are destroyed? But what did you think of Zofloya and the character of Victoria? Is there any way you would summarise her? A person with real willpower and ingenuity and resilience and sophistication and subtlety and she has desires of her own which is quite unusual but it's unusual to see them presented in the way they are and frankly victoria is sometimes angry and lustful and capricious and unfair but then so is everybody else and yeah. i think that is meant to be something you are sympathetic towards but it's all wrapped in a point in a plot that punishes her of transgressing exactly the same as the conventional gothic novel that it's rebelling against so it's doing everything at once it is having its cake and eating it but in a way that constantly makes readers see new facets to it it's condemning her and i'm not sure if i agree with that it's not condemning her i'm mm. not sure if i like that it's giving you all of these perspectives at the same time why do you think her novel isn't so well known it wasn't as historically influential as Matthew Lewis's The Monk, which it resembles, mm -hmm. as we discussed in Chance, yeah. or Radcliffe's Mysteries of Udolfo. So I just think those were more 
successful. They are less subversive. There are subversive elements in those books, but I think Dacre's book is really sort of strange and, and unsettling, I suppose, and is full of really quite kind of renegade and unruly energies. It's very taboo. It's very taboo, exactly. So I think its its extremity was quite shocking. And it was meant to be... It's a very rebellious book. Mm-hmm. It's, a sort of, it's rebellious in a way I think the others were not, perhaps. So something of its rather kind of astringent tart, mm. unpleasant on the tongue feeling, which I think we really like, I think made it relatively unsuccessful when it mm-hmm. first appeared. So what interested you most when reading the novel? Oh, I think Victoria, which yeah. is why that's nice, right? Because I think that's what interests first time readers. Victoria is such an interesting character, the strange and not unproblematic or entirely pleasant ideas mm-hmm. about race that the novel has mm-hmm. it's really ott it's really kind of bizarre some of it is not brilliantly written or brilliantly plotted it's really over the top it has a kind of operatic mm-hmm. pro- if you like opera or yeah. kind of pantomime or things like that they're really kind of over the top mm-hmm. histrionic aesthetic of success and extremity and i think that's quite nice. <laughs> so you don't think victoria is inherently evil i think the novel you find this sometimes in every sentence or every paragraph, mm-hmm. not every sentence and every paragraph of the entire text. But as I hoped, we modelled in some classes. And as you definitely will have discovered if you did some of the assessments, look closely at some passages. There are sentences that say things like, and I won't get the wording right, but you know, Victoria had a really unruly which was made much worse by her education so it's kind of both of those things right there's a bit of inherent vice idea but there's also an idea about vice being essentially a matter of cultivation and education I think there is there are little things that go on in the novel which tell you that Victoria could have been better she could have been tamed she could have been steered towards a more virtuous path it's definitely not all nature not all nature i think really the novel kind of says this was a bad person with a bad education mm. but look how bad 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 she got mm. particularly when she meets the devil you know it's like everything all at once i remember i tried to argue that she isn't inherently evil and it's more the influence of the devil and the outsider yes, yes. that's influencing her and i remember right. i obviously could disagree with this but for me, there was almost this conflict between the narrator and Victoria. The nar- narrator would say, oh, Victoria was inherently yes, evil. Yes. But then Victoria would say things that would go completely against yes, that. Yes. And I remember I thought there was a lot of tension with that. Yeah. But I didn't notice that the first time I read it. And that's why the stuff we have to do for class, right? Because you have to write yeah. a paper. makes you notice something. And then you think, actually, that's really cool. Yeah. We really welcome the opportunity to read that in detail. So I totally agree with you. And it would completely change your perspective, not only of Victoria, but the whole novel. What did you think of the way men were presented in Sofloya? I think they are relatively pallid, but I kind of quite like that, actually. <laughs> you know, we've all read enough books where the men are quite intricately realised and the women are quite flat, <laughs> dimensional, one-dimensional. So it's not bad to have the table turned and 
the women are more interesting, I think. But I quite like Lorenzo, actually. I have a bit of a soft spot for him. Mm. He's a kind of louche character, a bit of a libertine, but a bit of a, you know, a, someone who is not equipped for someone who can kind of out-libertine him as a woman who is way more ruthless than he is. So I quite like that, actually. That's quite a, a fun portrayal. I think their relationship was quite brushed. There yes. is quite a, there's a bit of ambiguity in their feelings towards each other, I think, which yeah. is quite interesting when you go yeah. into depth with it. So for me, the mysteries of Udolfo and Sofloya present extreme contrasts of female sexuality. Emily is glorified for being this submissive, I guess, sexless figure. And so is Lila in yes. Sofloya. But Victoria is completely demonised for having these passions and these erotic thoughts and feelings. Why do you think women have to be one or the other extreme in the gothic novel i think this is where the gothic novel ends up not able to articulate an alternative to the things that you set out <laughs> what i think many contemporary readers find valuable about as a it has quite a rich vivid intricate portrayal of a woman with real palpable sexual desire but the price for that is those have to be demonized as you put it so the only way that you get that into print is to say look at this kind of sinful thing and historically that's quite important and it is kind of hypocritical and pernicious in all sorts of ways but i'm going to show you this thing that's actually a feature of the real world and we should acknowledge as such but only under the sign of abjection or censure or horror look at this mm -hmm. terrible harlot mm -hmm. thing. but then the trick of the book is to do that but then make us think well actually aren't we just being presented with something that's quite sort of attractive so there's always that tension but you're completely right there isn't a space in that novel for saying this is a sexual woman who isn't wicked but it's the wickedness that evil that allow you to talk about the sexuality but yet some readers find that deeply kind of horrible and awful mm. it's like this is female sexuality only under the sign of something kind of monstrous and sinful and satanic mm. why because it threatens men you know you can say this is a virulently anti-woman misogynist book quite plausibly you can also say Look, it presents a real woman that is way more complex and interesting and self-possessed than the rather pallid figures we find elsewhere. So there is a feminist critique of Zafloya and a feminist message. I struggle to name Zafloya even misogynistic or feminist. I think it's more complicated than that. Well, that's great. I quite like that. I think it's really good for us as people to sort of say, I don't know what to make of this book. It is feminist and misogynistic. Yeah. That's difficult, but it's quite exhilarating. It's worth trying to sort of mm. sift those apart and say, well, this one is that and this one is the other. But at the end of the day, you might have to say, it is just a book which is really misogynist and really feminist sex mm. positive. And we can't really have one without the other. We can outside of the foyer, but at this moment, for these historical reasons, it is that thing, it is that artefact that joins those together very mm. tightly. And I think that's a good thing to think about. What did you think of the violence in the book? It was perpetuated by both men and women. Does that make a difference to how you read it? I'm not sure it does, though I am pretty sure that the violence that Victoria commits is meant to seem more shocking, I suppose, mm -hmm. because it's committed by a woman. I think that's yeah. true, and that's maybe 
grist to the mill of a kind of reading of the book as quite misogynistic. She becomes a kind of sexual attacker, doesn't she? She sexually attacks another woman. It's quite uncomfortable. And that is extremely uncomfortable. There is a kind of sexual assault, which is murderous, by Victoria on another woman. And that's where the implicit logic of the novel takes you. That's the worst thing she can do, but that's the thing that she's always going to do. That's where it's all leading. And that is really horrific. Just to go back to talking about Mysteries of Adolfo, we talked about how actually male sexual violence was an implicit theme of the book and something that's kind of always worrying about all the time. Mm. So that is in Zaflora as well. It's just it's a woman doing it. Some critics suggest that, and obviously you see that in the text, that Victoria's body changes to more masculine features when she kills Lila. Do you agree with that? To some extent, yes. But again, that's what's really fascinating. So is the thesis of the book at that point, look, this woman is monstrous because she's like a man. Mm. In which case it's saying women should only be womanly, which is a very kind of Mm -hmm. conservative message. But it's also sort of saying men are synonymous with violence and destruction and rapaciousness. So there's something that is misogynistic that turns into a Mm. critique of manhood, a cause of all violence in the world. So actually Victoria becomes a bad person by being a man. Oh, so it's not women who are the problem, it's men. Or is it women who can't be men? So all of those things are kind of happening at once. I remember in my essay, I suggested Victoria maybe gender non-conforming, just because for me, she isn't inherently feminine throughout the book because she doesn't conform to societal norms. And I guess maybe we should be looking less at Sophia for a feminist interpretation and more for a gender theory. What do you think of this interpretation? I haven't looked into this, but my co-tutor on the module, Martin Ellis, told me as we were teaching this year that there are trans readings of the novel mm. being published at the moment and I haven't had the time to check mm-hmm. that. There's something about the character of Victoria in particular yeah. who is just sort of queering or mushing together or doing something very kind of elastic, hybridising with categories of male and female. So I do think it leads itself to gender theory, to trans theory, to other things which are not totally to do with sexuality but mm. involve that but as a kind of a wider matrix of things. So obviously the novel describes violence against women very graphically. Where do you think we have to draw a line when reading such a novel for for pleasure? Because we shouldn't take pleasure in violence. In the 18th century, that is supplemented by an idea that art could give us the experience of the sublime, which is something much more like horror, shock, something overpowering that's quite challenging, maybe quite devastating. And by the late 19th century, late 20th century, there is a kind of aesthetic of shock and horror. I think pleasure is really maybe not the category we want to think about. I think it's the, the enjoyment of being challenged. How do you approach teaching texts that may exploit female violence? Violence towards women or perpetrated by women? Towards women. I used to teach a text by James Baldwin on a completely different module, and it featured a very memorable male character who is very abusive to women. And I did preface the teaching of that with words to the effect that we were not meant to feel 
like this character is good in acting mm-hmm. that way or that those actions can be excused but the nonetheless Jane Baldwin book was about the conditions of that violence where that behavior comes from what its kind of history and motivations are so i think sometimes you need to just say we're going to talk about something that a given novel or other kind of work of art wants to think about. Mm-hmm. Thinking about something is not advocating something. And finding it important to talk in quite a detailed way about what something is isn't always a way of saying it is okay. To go back to Mysteries of Udolpha, again, I think it's really important, and I worried a bit about how I was going to teach this material, particularly to a group of students who are all women, or yeah. I'm not, I'm a man. But to me, what makes that novel vital, there are lots of things that make that novel vital, but it is basically saying, look, we live in a world where women have good reasons to be afraid of men because they're violent, mm. and they have sexual designs on them, and sometimes their sexual designs are violent. The book is about that. It takes a long time to get to that really difficult but very kind of vital and relevant stuff. So insofar as that book is about the threat of violence, Mm. I think it's very important to talk about it. Mm. I agree. Which makes it interesting when Victoria becomes more masculine because violence is associated with masculinity traditionally. So most of the male characters we've read about are portrayed with the fragmented psyche. And this isn't just for Mysteries of Udolpha or Zafloya. I remember reading The Beast in the Jungle. Do you think the same can be said, though, for Dacry's or Radcliffe's female characters? That's a really good question. Frankly, I mean, this is off the top of my head, but I don't No, probably not. And I do think there's something a bit kind of chauvinist about that. The authors of that module, where they want to talk about the psyche or the soul or selfhood as such and how that is multiple or Mm -hmm. fractured or unknowable to itself and talk about it in quite universal ways. So James, Stevenson, people like that. It's a male protagonist that shows or is meant to show how there are splits in all people. But I, I don't think that does happen in quite the same way, mm. even the text by women that we read on this mm. What do you think about this? I agree with you. I think it's mostly presented through men, but I do think you could argue Victoria's psyche is quite fragmented. Yeah. There's those conflicts. But I do think traditionally you don't see that in female characters. I think that's right. Why do you think the Gothic concerns itself so much with female sexuality? It's not exclusively the case that gothic texts were written for a female readership or that gothic novels were written by women but it was a medium or a genre that thought about women a lot and that used the possibilities of a supernatural horror sensation historical estrangement setting things in distant time and places to approach issues that you otherwise might not be able to talk about or Mm. tackle head on in a slightly kind of oblique and disguised way so the sexuality of women the sexual behavior of women the expectations before after during parallel to marriage are a massive concern for women and in all people and always have been and the gothic has a way of talking about those ways in a slightly encrypted and secret way. And that's not the only reason for its 
prestige or celebrity or success, but that is quite a big reason for it, prestige and celebrity and success. So I think it was a success, historically it was a successful way of talking about those experiences. So my last question for you is, as a man, what's the hardest part about teaching female authors or books that include female oppression? So on the tip of my tongue was to say I don't think it is hard. That's fine too. That that would be, I think that would be very presumptuous and conceited. I mean, I don't mind talking about those things. Mm. I kind of wish we didn't have to, but that's what the world is about. That's what these worlds were. The last thing to do is to say, I think, well, I'm a man, so I'm not going to talk about these things, or those are women's issues, or because I'm a man, even if most of all, all of the students are women, then it's not appropriate for me to talk about. It's not good for me to think that male academics and male students read books by men and write about books by men in journals for male, you know, all of that. yeah. that's not a good state of affairs. So yeah. I think it never seems to me that I would want to avoid doing that. And it's always seen that that would be an essential part of anything that I did do. I think it's important for male academics to talk about female oppression or just in general books written by other women. Great. Thank you. Cool. That was a great conversation. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Women Get Lit. In the next episode, I'll be speaking to a different male academic, Joel Grossman, about female voice in medieval literature. Was it appropriate for men to write in the voice of women? Is it now?